with me in Proverbs 31. The last two verses really get at the heart of this chapter. King Lemuel's mother says these words. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of the hand, her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Of course, those are the works that are the fruit of the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the entire book of Proverbs. Wisdom literature intended to produce wisdom in the people of God. Father, we pray that this passage would do just that. Not just for the women, but for every person present here today. And we ask this for the sake of your son Jesus, who is our wisdom from God. Amen. Ten years ago, this past month, it's hard to believe it's been a decade, but Iran scored a very rare publicity coup in the capture and the release of 15 British Royal Marines. Included in these 15 was a woman named Faye Turney, who was the mother of a three-year-old child. Iranian President Ahmadinejad famously commented, you will know that among the detainees, there is one lady who is a mother of a child. Why is it that the most difficult work, like patrolling at sea, should be given to a woman? Why is there no respect for motherhood? Why does the West not value its women? Of course, this made its way around the Muslim world. Nothing could more effectively demonstrate the immorality of Western values than, than this. A mother of a little girl sent to war. Kathleen Parker remarked in the Washington Post at the time, On any given day, one isn't likely to find common cause with the Iranian president. He's a dangerous, lying, Holocaust-denying, Jew-hating, cutthroat thug. But he was dead on. When he wondered why a once great power such as Britain sends mothers of toddlers to fight its battles. Of course, with the rise of feminism in the 1960s, we have forgotten what reflects the excellence of a woman. It's not being able to do the same responsibilities as men. Though oftentimes those responsibilities certainly do overlap. But it's not found in that no more than a man's excellence is found in being able to do the duties of women. Proverbs 31 tells us that the excellence of a woman is seen by who she fears. And you could say there, uh, this is... A healthy fear, not an anxious, fretful fear. Fear that is synonymous with love and devotion and awe and respect. This excellence is seen by who she fears and by how she serves. Indeed, how she serves flows and is the fruit of the one she fears. It's interesting that the, the final chapter of Proverbs, and that is intentional. The final chapter of Proverbs is a lesson from a mother to a son. If you look with me in verse 1 of chapter 31. The words of King Lemuel. An oracle that his mother taught him. Now who is King Lemuel? Not in the history of Israel do we see a King Lemuel. Well, the name means for God. This is a king who is for God. He reigns and he rules for God. He lives his life for God. And so 
It could be a nickname for Solomon. And in this case, it would be Bathsheba giving Solomon this counsel. Or it could be just a hypothetical ideal king. Of course, we recognize from Genesis 1 that all of us were created kingly. Uh, Genesis 1 says we were created the image of God. In the ancient Near East, that was kingly language. So this is a, a text for us all, for both men and women. And in this council, she warns King Lemuel. If he is to live for God, if he is to rule and to reign for God, he warns this king, his, her son, of three things. First of all, immorality. Sexual immorality. Verse 3, do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. Secondly, he, she warns her son of drunkenness. Verses 4 to 7, it is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed. And pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing in wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. And then she encourages him to be a king of social justice. Verse 8. Open your mouth for the mute. For the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth. Judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. In other words, these three things young men are prone to that will ultimately destroy their lives if they're not checked. Sexual immorality, drunkenness, and self-love. That's why he calls, she calls him to social justice. The opposite of that is self-love. Those are three real issues that young men are tempted with. But then she comes to the final issue on her heart. She desires for her son to marry well. She desires for her son to marry an excellent woman. That's described in verses 10 to 31. Now this text takes the form of a poem. It's an acrostic. In the Hebrew alphabet, there are 22 letters. There is the first letter, Aleph, and the last letter, Tav. A to Z, you could say, in the English alphabet. There are 22 verses here. Every verse begins with a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, That kind of serves as a memory device. It's easy to remember. But there's more to it than that. We're reading here a description, a complete description of the excellent woman. The excellent woman, if you would, from A to Z. And the first thing we see with this excellent woman, she's an excellent wife. Look with me in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. Now, why would he ask that question? It's this simple. There's not many. That's why he asked the, she asked the question. There are not many excellent wives. Just as there aren't many excellent husbands. But this is Mother's Day. It's not Father's Day. <laughs> the phrase excellent wife was introduced in chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Now, this word excellence is very interesting in the Hebrew. It is used elsewhere to describe great warriors. So excellence has military overtones. And it's applied to soldiers who are excellent at war. This woman... Like Faye Turney is a warrior, but she's engaged in different battles than Faye Turney. This excellent woman is engaged in the right battles. That's wisdom. Remember, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. Hence, 
She can say to Lemuel in the second part of verse 10, she is far more precious than jewels. You know, it's interesting that this woman from verses 10 to 31 is really a composite picture of what wisdom is in the first 30 chapters. For instance, in chapter 3, verse 15, it is speaking of wisdom. And here's what it says of wisdom. She, Lady Wisdom, is more precious than jewels. And here, the excellent woman is more precious than jewels. In fact, Proverbs 3 says, nothing you desire can compare with her. There's nothing more precious than this woman. Yesterday, Heather, the, the tongue on her, her wedding ring broke. She learned that at the ball field. I was in Nashville doing a wedding. And she texted me and said, I've, I've lost my diamond ring that I gave her. Uh, I sold a lung to pay for that thing. I called her immediately and she went through this spill of how she noticed it at the ballpark and I'm thinking about having to sell the house to buy another one or something and and she said, but Ella found it in our bed. The tongue had broken off and I don't know how. I got home late last night. I haven't been able to talk to Ella about it. I don't know how she found that diamond, but that diamond is precious It's a precious jewel. And we are grateful we found that diamond. And King Lemuel's mother says an excellent wife is more precious than that diamond. This signals that that she embodies all that has been said about wisdom in the first 30 chapters. Now, what is wisdom? The Hebrew word literally means skilled master. It's someone who's a a skilled master, a person who is a master at something. Of course, what is this skilled master skilled at? Doing the will of God. Applying the word of God. Applying the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God in Proverbs is about knowledge of ultimate things. This is a woman who majors in ultimate things. You know those women that get frustrated and upset over things that will not matter in 10 minutes. But this woman majors in ultimate things. Creation, fall, redemption, the true and living God as he has revealed himself in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. She majors in the doctrine of salvation, the gospel. She's a a church-centered woman. She's a neighbor-centered woman. She is a woman of wisdom. She is skilled at applying the gospel, the word of God, to her life. You know, generally women or men seek a wife for other reasons than... A woman's wisdom. They may find this woman physically attractive. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the only thing that this woman has, that is a terrible reason to marry a woman. He may choose her because she has money. Or an education that he finds respectful. Uh, There's various reasons that a man chooses a wife. But seeking the excellent woman. Is the way of wisdom. That's what King Lemuel's mother is driving home. The intangibles of the excellent woman are innumerable. Note with me in verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her. And he will have no lack of gain. Literally, he does not lack plunder. Now, this is striking because it refers to the spoils of warfare. So she is a warrior. She's an excellent woman. But she is engaged in the right battles. Again, this woman fights the right battles. Notice verse 12. She does him good. Who is him? The husband. 
She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She always does that which is best for her husband. She pursues his best interest and her love does not fluctuate with the various circumstances of life. She affirms her vow that she will live together with her husband in sickness and in health, in joy and sorrow, in plenty and in want. And in keeping with her excellence as a wife, we see her excellence as a homemaker. Look with me in verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. Now that's notable. Willing hands. I know people, and too often this has been me, lest I sound like I've arrived. But I know people, and oftentimes this is me, who will serve. But when they don't get the credit that they desire and think they deserve, they grumble and they complain and they cop attitudes. That reflects that the service is not flowing out of a heart that loves God. It's service that's flowing out of a heart that loves self. But this woman, she works with willing hands. Even when her husband does not deserve it, which is often the case, she works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. She gets up at five and cooks eggs and bacon. And portions for her maidens. She even cares for the maidens. So she puts the well-being of her household before her own comfort. And in keeping with her excellence in the home, she is a physical steward as well. Notice verse 16. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She's financially responsible. She makes wise investments to assist her husband. Indeed, she is industrious. Again, a lot of this is metaphorical language, much of it. And it's a composite picture of the the lady wisdom of Proverbs 1 to 30. And so behind the metaphors are universal principles of wisdom. Indeed, this is an industrious woman... She's not a wilting flower. She is a strong woman. Of course, this is not just physical strength. This is the strength of wisdom. In fact, Lady Wisdom, speaking in chapter 8, verse 14, says, I have strength. So this is a woman of wisdom. Note with me in verse 17. She dresses herself with strength. This is the strength of wisdom. This is not self-help. Flexing her muscles, gritting her teeth, bearing up like we often teach our athletes to do. This is the strength of wisdom and makes her arms strong. In fact, in verse 25, strength and dignity are her clothing. Literally, this verse, verse 17, she girds her loins, which means... She prepares herself for some kind of heroic action. And it is heroic to be an excellent woman. We think you have to fight on the front lines of battle or be CEO of a a company to be heroic. This is true hero qualities. She's a strong, she's a disciplined woman. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She is fruitful. She is profitable. And this motivates her. I mean, she's motivated by benefiting others. She is other-oriented. She's not motivated by self-fulfillment, by self-glory. That's remarkable. Her lamp does not go out at night. Verse 19, she puts her hands to the distaff... 
and her hands hold the spindle. Again, metaphorical language. It does not mean that every excellent woman can sew. There's a few women here can sew and they can teach others to sew. But this is, again, the, the wisdom principle behind this language. She is devoted to others. That's why she's excellent. And as devoted as she is towards her family, she's also devoted to those outside of her family. You all know people who serve their family well, but they don't love their neighbor well. Verse 20, she opens her hands to the poor and she reaches out her hands to the needy. Now, where does this kind of love come from? Of course, we recognize that in the law, you have the tablet of the first tablet of the Ten Commandments uh, reflects our love for God. And the second tablet of the Ten Commandments reflects our love for our fellow man. We also recognize that this kind of selfless agape love is not natural to us. What is natural to us is self-love. For you to love the needy, for you to love someone consistently uh, who is not a part of your family unit, that's supernatural. This is a woman who loves God and her love for the needy proves her love for God and her love for God produces her love for the needy. This is a woman of selfless mercy. She's the kind of person that... King Lemuel's mother wants him to be. We saw that in verses 8 and 9 when she calls him to social justice. She's also a woman who thinks ahead. She's proactive. She's not just reactionary. Uh, Again, this is a composite picture of wisdom. In Proverbs 6 it says, look to the ant, you sluggard. Now who is the sluggard? It's not just lazy people. A sluggard is someone who is dull and lazy with regard to ultimate things. And it says the the ant prepares its food in the summer. Why? The ant knows winter is coming. That's the way of wisdom. And in the same way, notice with me in verse 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. So anticipated danger does not make this woman anxious. It doesn't agitate her. She makes clothes for the coming pending winter. Not only that, they're pretty clothes. All her household are clothed in scarlet. Now, I don't know how many of the sons would want to wear that scarlet, but they wouldn't have a choice. She made it. But notice in verse 22... She makes bed coverings for herself. So she is caring for her family, but she's not just neglecting herself in the process. She recognizes she needs to take care of herself for her husband. She needs to take care of herself for her children. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. And her diligence in every area. Allows her husband to thrive. Verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates. When he sits among the elders of the land. This is a man who does not have domestic worries. Why? Because her, his wife is an excellent woman. The implication here is that a, woman, a husband cannot thrive... If he is not married to an excellent woman, he needs her support. I was talking to a fellow at the wedding yesterday. And he's dating this young girl and has been dating her for some time. And and I told him, I said, I can tell you right now, you have already reached your peak as a man. Uh, Men have a very low ceiling. And... Until God brings the excellent woman into their lives. Now that doesn't mean everybody's called to be married. Some men and women are called to singleness. And Paul says that's a gift. But in the main, God has designed that we be married. 
And the most mature men that I teach at the school are men who have gotten married. Because most young men reach that ceiling uh, and they need a wife that they have to love and care for to take them beyond that maturity, maturity peak. Most of the men that have shipwrecked at Boyce College where I teach are unmarried men. And so this man does not have the gift of singleness. This man needs this woman to thrive. In fact, in verses 24 and 25, we continue to see her industry, her energy. Note with me in 24, he, she, uh, the, the mother says she makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the... Is this wearing you out? Uh, good. And I'll make my point in a moment. Strength and dignity are her clothing. And she, notice, laughs at the time to come. She's not worried about the future. Why? Well, there's an old Persian proverb, trust God, but tie up your camels. And she's good at both. She, she, she has deep faith in God, as we will see. And she's tying up her camels. She's faithful. She's a steward in every area of life. She is industrious. Now, this is a text that tells me that it's not sinful for a woman to work outside the home. Now, it's not sinful for a woman to not work outside the home. That's beautiful and glorious as well. But if a woman is taking care of her home, she's not forsaking her first ministry. There is nothing sinful about a woman working outside the home. Here's a very industrious woman who is yet taking care of her family. And she laughs at the time to come. That's a woman of faith. That's a woman who is not hamstrung by anxieties and fears and guilt that often comes from a lack of stewardship, a lack of faithfulness in her responsibilities. And yet, she's a woman of responsibility. Notice as well, she's excellent as a teacher as well. Verse 26. And I don't think the translation is good here in the English Standard Version. I didn't consult the other translations this week. But I'll tell you why in just a moment. She opens her mouth with wisdom. Again, this is a woman of wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The word teaching there is the word Torah. It's where we get the word Torah, law. And the word kindness is the word hesed. It's God's steadfast love. It is God's covenantal faithfulness to his people. It's more than kindness. This is covenantal language. This is a woman who has the gospel on her tongue. She teaches the gospel to her children. And oftentimes to her husband. Who is prone to forget the gospel. In Victor Hugo's final novel, 93, he depicts the upheaval of the reign of terror in France in 1793. Now, if anybody's ever read on the time period of the Revolutionary War and the years following that, then you know about this terrible time in France. Food shortages, brutality in the streets. And in this particular novel, he describes two soldiers who are observing a woman. And she has this small piece of bread. And she breaks that bread into two pieces. And she gives the two pieces to her two children. And one of the soldiers says, she's taking none for herself. And the other soldier said, why? Is she not hungry? And the other soldier said, no, she's a mother. She's a mother. Indeed, this is instilled in mothers. It's natural. Unless a mother, there's just something off. This is a natural common grace instinct in every mother. And yet the Proverbs 31 mother goes beyond this. 
It goes beyond, she goes beyond just providing for her family. She recognizes the greatest need for her children is not physical bread. It's the bread of life. The law of hesed, the law of steadfast covenantal love is on her lips. She catechizes her children. By the way, the Baptist catechism is a great place for that excellent woman to start. Or the Westminster Shorter Catechism. She teaches her children the word. She memorizes scripture with her children. They remember their childhood as a, as a childhood of an open book. The word of God. They see her reading her Bible. This is the woman who teaches her children. Indeed, she's excellent as a mother. Verses 27 and 29. Look with me in verse 27. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children will never be able to say she's lazy. She sits around and watches television all the time. Not that anything's wrong with watching television. But this woman does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. She does not indulge in the habits or the excuses of the sluggard. The sluggard is addressed many times in Proverbs. Why? Because we are naturally sluggish. That's why Proverbs addresses the sluggard. Who's the sluggard? Every person in this room is naturally a sluggard when it comes to ultimate things. And sometimes even when it comes to duties in our lives. And note, this woman who has been so concerned for others now becomes the central concern of others. Uh, the word praise. Now this is not praise in the sense of getting glory that belongs to God. It's, it's words of admon admonition. Words of blessing. Uh, the word praise occurs three times in verses 28 to 31. With the first time here in verse 28. Let me just say something here as a side. To give the women some relief for a moment. About praise. Praise, C.S. Lewis says, is inner health made visible. Inner health made visible. Lewis goes on and says, it's the cranks, that is the, the moody, grumpy people, and the scrooges of the world who seldom praise. They have an inner sickness of soul, he says, that yields criticism, complaining, murmuring, grumbling, suspicion, always suspicious. The conspiracy theorist and ultimately joylessness. And, and I want to... I want to take people like that and sometimes myself and I want to say, yes, I know that there are difficulties and there are frustrations in this world and that things are often way too broken. But Jesus died and rose again precisely. That the commands to rejoice always and to, be, to give thanks in every occasion would have a ground for it. Now why does this woman need praise? Or anyone else for that matter. We all do. Not praise in the glory sense, but in the encouragement. Well, the text doesn't tell us. But... She needs to be strengthened in the Lord. That's what it means to encourage. You are, you are a means of perseverance in a person's life when you encourage them. There are always temptations for this woman or anyone else to be allured away 
from delight in God and from the fear of God and praise as a means of grace. But how can a woman be worthy of praise like this? Doesn't this seem idyllic? And that brings us to the last point. Her excellence spiritually. Verses 30 to 31. Notice, charm is deceitful. Now this is a word to every young man here and young women. You can be charming, but that does not mean God's hand is on you. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. Why? Because our bodies and our appearances age. And ultimately they go to the dust. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Second time we see the word praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The woman who otherwise does not fear, she does not fear the future, does fear someone. She is known by who she fears, the fear of God. Now, what is the fear of God? It is not this fretful, anxious fear. Some of you were raised in homes where you were just anxiously fearful of your father. This is a devotion. This is, this is uh, when it was said of Aslan, he's dangerous, but he's good. It is reverential awe. It's synonymous with repentant faith. It is loyalty. It is awe to the living God. And this is crucial in a woman as, as is anyone else. Because as Psalm 31 says, the friendship of the Lord is with those who fear him. So what is the fear of the Lord? Let me give you a definition. It, it's the continuous awareness. Continuous. You live, in this, you live before God. You live in the presence of God. It's the continuous awareness that I'm in the presence of a holy, just, and almighty Lord. And that every word, deed, thought, action, attitude, and motivation... Is open before him and will be judged by him. And it's a fear that causes me, in light of that reality, to flee to his provision for all my words, deeds, thoughts, and actions that I know fall short of his glory. And his provision is his son, Jesus. So the fear of God is centered. On the Son of God. We fear Him, but we love Him. And we love Him because He has made provision for our brokenness in His Son. Indeed, the fear of God produces a beauty in this woman that will endure for eternity. So, how do we respond to this text? Well, First of all, we ask with the Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things? We aren't. And neither is this woman in Proverbs 31. Now, why do I say that? Because she fears the Lord. If she's the perfect woman, there's no need for the fear of God. This is a woman who fears the Lord. She recognizes that in spite of her sin, in spite of her failures as a woman, as a wife, as a mother and a grandmother, and as a neighbor, that she is accepted, that her sins are forgiven in God's provision for her sin. Now, under the old covenant, it was the sacrificial system where the the, the animals were sacrificed daily and yearly so that the believers in Israel would have the forgiveness of sins. And those sacrifices pointed forward to the one who would come and sacrifice once for all. They were types of Christ. This is a woman who loves God because of his gospel. In fact, I would suggest to you 
Now, this is important not just for Proverbs 31. It's important for the entire book. That the first function of the book of Proverbs is to slay us. So if you're sitting there today, having heard this message from Proverbs 31, and you are trembling because you recognize how short you fall, praise God. Because these Proverbs are intended to function like the law. The law shows us how short we fall and they drive us to God's provision for our having fallen short. And here's the good news. The Apostle Paul says that you don't have to develop this wisdom in your works and person in order to be accepted by him. Because your wisdom is a person. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, Paul says, Christ is our wisdom from God. Why do we need Christ to be our wisdom? Because we are the antithesis naturally to the wise person of Proverbs. We are the antithesis of the excellent woman of Proverbs 31. And so this text is intended to drive us to Jesus. Secondly, as those who now have Jesus as their wisdom, covering their shame, covering their foolishness, covering their sin, what Proverbs does as we read it and as we meditate on it is that God begins to work the wisdom of Jesus in us. That's sanctification. And so you read Proverbs and at first glance you go, woe is me. And you flee to God's provision for your foolishness. Jesus. And you say, praise God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But now God by his spirit begins to actually form that wisdom in us. That's the function of Proverbs. And so in Jesus, as our wisdom, Proverbs gives us a vision of the kind of wisdom that he is working in every believer. That's how Proverbs is to be read. Thirdly, this is a call, and I have to bring other texts into this for this. This is a call to our older ladies. Titus chapter 2 makes it very clear. You have a responsibility for the next generation of excellent women. Discipleship ensures that you will send excellent women to a generation that you won't see. And I am convinced the reason many older men and women get crabby in their old age is because they're not giving their life away. For that cause. You were created for this. You were redeemed for this. Who are you investing in? To ensure. Excellent women. For another generation. And to ensure excellent women. For men like King Lemuel. Fourth. Men you're not off the, the, the hook here. It makes it easier for a woman to become an excellent woman when you love her with covenantal love. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. In baseball, I will tell our third baseman or shortstop oftentimes, make it easy for the first baseman. What do I mean by that? If the third baseman is throwing short hops... And throwing the ball into the runner and getting the first baseman run over by the runner, uh, that's not serving him well. The way you make it easy for the first baseman is you throw him strikes right there to the chest. Husbands, you can make it easy for your wives by loving her in a covenantal way. Fifth, 
Men, this is also the kind of vision that we need to foster for our daughters. Women are uniquely influenced by the things their fathers esteem. Is this what we're esteeming? Are we giving this vision to our daughters? Six, it's also the kind of vision we must foster for our sons. King Lemuel's mother gives us that example. The non-excellent woman will wreck a man. I tell students all the time, I don't care what she looks like. If she's not a Proverbs 31 lady, you flee for the hills, you have no ministry. On the flip side, a non-excellent man will wreck a woman. Seventh, young men, don't settle for anything but the kind of woman this, be, this kind of wisdom is being worked in. Remember, this woman will be the mother of your children. And your daughters will be like her. And your sons will marry someone like her. And young men, if you want a Proverbs 31 woman, you've got to be a Proverbs 1 to 30 man. Why would God give a queen to some young pervert who can't get his eyes off a screen of perversion? You've got to become God's man if you want Proverbs 31 woman. And then finally, if you're not a Christian, we don't judge you because that's all of us at one, at one time. You're not born a Christian. You're born again a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, and there's some here in this room, and I'm not thinking of anyone in particular. It's just the statistics tell us there's someone in this room that's not a believer. This text cannot be applied by you. Proverbs 19, in fact, says that the the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. We've already established what is the fear of God. It is trust in his gospel. It is love for his gospel. It is awe of him because of the provision he has made for our sins in his son Jesus. This is a word to you as well. Let this text slay you. And drive you to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where you can have all of your sins, past, present, and future, forgiven. And you can have a new status, daughter of God. Adopted, joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's what Proverbs has to teach us today. Now we're going to pray. And here's what I want to do as we pray. I want to pray for our mothers and our women in this room. So let's bow our heads. Father, we lift up our mothers. There are some godly mothers in this room. Thank you for them. I pray for all of our mothers that you would grow them in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray for... Perhaps mothers that have not yet been saved. They do not have that alien wisdom that is a person, Jesus Christ. I pray today they would receive your provision in your son Jesus by faith. Lord, I want to pray for those who are infertile at this time. Who have not yet been able to have children. Father, I pray that you would just remind them that they are not defined by that. Their identity is not that. Their identity is Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would open wounds. And for those who cannot bear children but long for children, that you would open up opportunities to foster children and to adopt children. We pray for them, comfort them. May they look to the gospel for their peace. 
Lord, I pray for the mothers who have lost children here in this room. There are mothers here who are grieving the lostness of their children. I'm praying this time next year we'll be celebrating the conversion of many lost children in this room. You came to seek and to save that which is lost, Lord Jesus. I pray you would do that as we pray for our lost children. I know some in this room have lost children. They've told me. They have children that are in rebellion. We present them to the throne room of grace. We cry for their salvation. We pray for mothers in this room who have lost spouses. Their husbands do not know Jesus. They long to be led by their husbands spiritually. We pray that you would save their husbands. We pray for the children in this room who have lost mothers. Lord, we pray that you would save their mothers. We pray for grandparents who are raising their grandchildren. I lift them up to you. Pray you give them special grace. I pray for single moms. I pray you would be a husband to the husbandless. Lord, I want to pray for the mothers who have lost their, some children this year to death. I present them to you. Give them grace upon grace. Comfort them by your gospel. I pray for mothers who've lost spouses this year. I pray that they could experience your presence in a special and fresh way. I pray for the foster parents in this room. Thank you for their example. Bless their homes. Bless these children. I pray you would fix our foster care system. I lift up Dan Dumas, who is now the czar in charge of that. I pray you give him wisdom. We lift up our ladies. Everyone here. And Father, I pray for the men. Give us grace to be what our ladies need us to be. And most of all, we thank you that when we fall short, we have a Savior. We have one who covers us by his blood and his righteousness. And we have the Holy Spirit who has come not just to save us in our sins, but to save us from our sins. We pray that you would do that. And we ask these things for the sake of your son, our wisdom from God. Amen.